Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. In Genesis 37, we begin uh, a study of the life of Joseph. Uh, and uh, since we're in the middle of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, right now, I thought it would be appropriate uh, to delve into a couple uh, teachings and connections between Joseph and Hanukkah and how to overcome the odds. Sometimes we feel like the deck has been stacked against us, and it's true. In, in this world, the world system, the devil tries to rig the world system against us. But even though we're in this world, we're not of this world. We serve a higher power. That's why right now you see an attack on the church where the churches and, and synagogues are no longer essential in the minds of many politicians and leaders. Why is that? Because they don't want God to be the higher power. They want politics and government to be the highest power. But God says there's a power higher than man, higher than government, and we submit to that power in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen? So, you know, just to clear this up, uh, sometimes people wonder now, because we never learned about Chanaka, <laughs> we never learned about the Talit, the Zitzits, the Mizuzis, and Chanaka. <laughs> What's all that stuff all about? Well, in reality, uh, the only place that Hanukkah is mentioned in all of the Bibles in the New Testament in John 10, 22. And we find Jesus going up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Dedication. I'm sure he wasn't just going there to find a mini-mart or some hummus. He was going there to celebrate Hanukkah. And uh, part of that is uh, lighting the Hanukkah, the menorah. We'll talk about that just for a moment. But uh, like Christmas, the Hanukkah story is a miracle story. And it's especially a miracle story for the people of God. And out of that, God is saying, don't ever lose sight of the fact that I am the God that can do the impossible. What man says is impossible, God says, it's possible in me. So never lose hope. You be your own Pope of hope. I wish it was, had been a part of our salvation story and history from when we were kids. Because it's a, a story of an extraordinary victory. Uh, and there was a, a small group of righteous people known as the Maccabees uh, that rose up against the massive, overwhelming government forces from Greece 
and Syria. They were the invaders. They were the oppressors. They were the occupiers who came into Israel to conquer Israel and impose their secular beliefs on every aspect of Jewish life. They declared Judaism non-essential. And they demanded that the Jews give up their godly heritage and assimilate into a profane culture. And a lot of that was built on Greek mythology, right? Zeus. In fact, at one point during the Hanukkah story, uh, all of the elites got together and uh, not only defiled the temple, but they were sacrificing pigs to the god of uh, the Greek god Zeus. An abomination. And so they imposed this dictatorial kind of rule. You were okay as long as you did it their way. The moment you tried to do it your way, we don't, we don't buy into the philosophy church is not essential. Well, then now you got problems with the government. So God's people rose up to oppose that. It almost sounds like today's story in many ways. What's going on in America and around the world, how these secular, humanist, pagan, godless people want to impose their will on our lives and tell us who we can worship and when or when we can't worship. So, God's people, though, they did like Popeye. Remember, remember Popeye? <laughs> I stands all that I can stands, and I can't stands no more. And sometimes we got to get to that point in our lives where in our spirit, righteous indignation becomes a bit. Well, I've, st- I've stood all that I can stand. The difference, though, between a Christian and what we see in modern-day protesting, we should both groups register protests. We're just not going to burn things down physically. We're not going to destroy people's livelihoods and uh, throw uh, bricks and bottles at cops to get our way. Uh, But we are in the spirit going to pray like we've never prayed before. And we're not going to be part-time Christians. You can't afford to be part-time Christians anymore. we got to be full-time Christians. So uh, the bad guys did all of these bad things, but God's people said enough is enough, and all of a sudden they were a conduit for the miracle power of God. And that's a lesson you and I need to learn, that we are conduits for the power of God. Let the power flow through us into every situation. Get enough people doing that, and all of a sudden, you see a tsunami instead of a trickle. So it's a story of miracle victory. It's also a story of miracle provision. Because once they reclaimed the temple and rededicated the temple, the priest discovered they only had a one-day supply of oil for the menorah. The, the menorah is the key symbol of Hanukkah. And it symbolizes the wisdom of God. 
the counsel of God, the revelation, knowledge of God, the anointing of God. And back then, they wanted to relight the menorah to reignite all of that back into their lives that the government had tried to suppress. The oil symbolizes the power of the Holy Ghost who comes to comfort us and strengthen us, right? He comes to help us in our day-to-day walk to make the right choices. If we listen to uh, uh, God's voice, we'll make the right choice. Amen? It's not a coincidence that uh, the Hebrew word for oil uh, has the same root word as the number eight. Who remembers the uh, Hebrew meaning of the number eight? New beginning, new beginning. They needed a new beginning spiritually and culturally. And they got it. And as they lit the, the first day's worth of oil, the only small supply they had, they just by faith, we'll just at least do this. Do what you can. Amen. And they did. And then all of a sudden, God miraculously provided for another day and another day until they had enough oil for uh, all the days uh, to light the temple menorah until they could manufacture more. And so every year we, when we study Hanukkah, it always comes up right about the time that uh, we study the life of Joseph. And as you go through the life of Joseph, beginning in Genesis 37, you see that Hanukkah and the life of Joseph all tell the story of facing overwhelming circumstances. Each of these stories show us that without God's divine intervention, there's no way to overcome the odds. But as we submit to God and by faith trust in the Lord with all of our heart, all of a sudden God changes hopelessness to hope. And how many of us have hope today? We don't hope in what man can do. Our hope doesn't lie in what man decides, although we need to vote for the right people to make it easier on us, right? You don't want to elect people that are going to say, you know what, your faith is non-essential. But we have a hope beyond natural hope. Hallelujah. And there's nothing impossible for those that are serving the Lord. Amen? And why is that? Why can we say that? Because we have a covenant with God. And it's not a natural covenant like you sign a contract with a, uh, an automobile dealership. Right? We signed a supernatural covenant. It's signed, sealed, and delivered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have a gracious Father. Right? Who's not mad at us. There's not a God of the Old Testament that's different from the God of the New Testament. False teaching. God has always been a gracious father. He's always been El Shaddai. He's the all-sufficient one. And he will become what we need him to be when we need him to be it. And this is how we overcome. This is by that revelation. Because our God will never leave us or forsake us. 
and he will move mountains on our behalf. And he would love to have a partner in that. Right? So we're not just sidling idly by in neutral. Amen. Faith is a verb. It's an action word. Faith. Use your faith. The force of faith. And that's what uh, the story of Hanukkah is about. Judah Maccabees. That's what the story of Joseph is all about. Uh, they use their faith along the way, and God used that as the conduit by which he released divine intervention. But both start off by being plunged into cultural and spiritual darkness. Every story doesn't start with a happy start and, uh, you know, but God said, I want it to, to lead you into a happy ending. And in the end, if we will not cast away our confidence and throw in the towel and do what Roberto Duran did, no mas! No mas! Joseph's story was a different kind of oppression. In Hanukkah, the oppression came from without, externally. But Joseph's oppression came internally from within the family. His brothers came to hate him. And rather than Joseph ascending into those dreams he had early on, it was like he descended into darkness. Hey, what about all the dreams? He was thrown into the pit, plunged into slavery, taken down into Egypt, falsely accused, thrown into prison, suffered through all kinds of betrayal and jealousy, false accusations, and other acts of treachery. Nice life serving God. And just like Joseph, we've all been in this situation at some level, maybe not as bad, maybe worse. When the world comes crashing down and it seems like there's no hope and there's no sign that God is working. But this isn't the time to question God and be mad at God and backslide into sin. That's not the wrong decision. Don't listen to that voice. Because it's just what the devil wants you to do. So when we get back around to Hanukkah and Joseph on the divine calendar, we need to take away from that encouragement. They didn't give up. I'm not going to give up. As the uh, old, uh, one of the most famous songs in all the world, Don't Stop Believing. Journey. The guy that wrote that song is married to Paula White. He's been in our church, Jonathan Cain. He, he, so thank God he's a rock star turned into a lover of God and may all the, the royalties from that song be blessing him and his family and causing them to do great things for the kingdom of God. Don't stop believing. First Peter 5.10 in the New Living Testament translation says, In his kindness, 
God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. You're partners with God sharing in some special things. God, help us to see that. So after you have suffered a little while, look, rule number one in life is people get hurt. I haven't met anybody that's gone through life that didn't go through something. Now, everybody doesn't go through the same, and there's a lot of reasons why. But no matter, we're, we've all uh, had to go through something. No one gets an exemption card. But after you've suffered a little while, God will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. That's our God. That's the plan. How do I know the will of God for my life? Go to 1 Peter 5.10. There's the will of God. No matter what you're going through, if you don't cast away your faith and confidence, there's restoration coming. There's support that's coming. Strength is coming. And a firm foundation is coming. Hallelujah. So despite what it looks like in the natural, God is always working behind the scenes. Where have we heard this? The story of Esther. It might seem like you've taken three steps backwards for every one step forward, but God has a master plan. And it's leading us towards restoration, towards salvation, towards deliverance, and towards redemption. It happened for Judah Maccabees and his band of warriors. It happened for Joseph, and eventually it touched Joseph's family. And I dare say it'll happen for you. How many want the blessing of God to happen for you? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Now, look, just because you go to a faith church, don't buy into this uh, erroneous faith teaching that if bad things happen to you, if you're struggling, that that's proof you're out of the will of God. Not necessarily, as my friend uh, Coach Corso says. Not so fast, my friend. (laughs) The dreams God gave Joseph eventually came to pass. Come on. Now, we wouldn't necessarily write the script that Joseph went through to get to the point where the dreams are coming to pass. No one wants to intentionally bring down struggles and damnation on themselves. But all things work together for Joseph. In fact, he says that later on in in, uh, two weeks, he'll say that, that brothers, what you meant for bad, for evil turned around and God used it for good. That's Romans 8.28, an early form of that divine principle all the way back in Genesis. That all If you make an unwavering commitment to serve God, all things are going to work out. The reason all things don't work out is because people waver and cast away their confidence. And it's like uh, the, uh, the late, great Ross Perot said when he was running for president way back in the early 90s, most people fumbled a ball on the three-yard line. <laughs> don't be that guy. 
you're right there. All things are going to work together and turn out. Things are going to turn out. That's the gospel. That's the good news. What the enemy means to do you harm with, God will turn it all around for his good, for your good and his glory. But God wasn't the only one working behind the scenes. And here's where people can sometimes get confused, especially when preachers say, there's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. Stop that, will you? You need to work out your salvation. Yeah, there's something you have to do. You just can't sit on the sidelines. Get a helmet, son, and get in the game. So God wasn't the only one working uh, behind. Joseph was working behind the scenes. Right? Somehow he got the revelation. He, he had a McFly moment. Remember Back to the Future? McFly, McFly. That happened with Joseph. Because in his youth, he was a little arrogant, prideful, superior type of person. And he let his brothers know, I'm the one with the dreams. I'm the one with the coat of many colors. I'm, I'm daddy's favorite. And he let him know. That's all part of why everything fell apart. Joseph could have learned the lessons and probably avoided all of that, but he went through his youth thinking, that's why, uh, here's my advice to anyone who's like uh, got an AARP card is make sure you ask a teenager what you should do but, but while they still know everything. So Joseph, the big reason that the brothers came against Joseph was all of that bad attitude, that the wrong spirit. And it's a big reason that he needed to change. And as you go through Joseph's life, you'll see that he started to work on transforming himself. Because early on, he, was, he would talk about my dream. He's mine. Mine, mine, mine. Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. But... Later on, you heard him talk to, uh, in prison, to the butler and the baker, the candlestick maker. And Pharaoh, God showed me. It went from, I'm doing this on my own, God showed me something. I can't do this except by God. I can't interpret dreams except by God. So he went from being self-absorbed, being conceited, into thinking, I know everything, into a man of God. And that conversion saved not only his life, it saved his family and helped fulfill the dream that Abraham had. That they would become a great nation. So, there's some takeaways here. Things Christians may not be taught. 
because we just want to, we just want to hear, uh, just tell me how to get blessed. That's all I want to hear. Just tell me how I'm going to get blessed. Don't tell me I got to do something. Don't tell me about praying. Don't tell me about believing. Don't tell me about prophesying. Don't tell me about church attendance. Don't tell me about living a godly moral life, resisting the devil, submitting to God and causing things to finally work out. Don't tell me. I just want to know somebody lay hands on me so I can have the miracle. And sometimes that does happen. But if that's the only thing that happens in our Christianity, then there's no character development. You, you develop into a character, but you don't have character. So it's not only the devil who resists you. Okay? Did, did you say amen, little buddy? See... How many of you have never learned, or maybe you have learned, that God resists you? The Bible says God resists the proud. Think of that. So all all the time in the charismatic word of faith, we're we're just thinking that it's the devil, devil, devil. You sound like Flip, Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. The Bible clearly teaches God resists the proud. You can have a divine calling on your life. And you probably do. But God is not going to allow that calling to manifest at the highest levels if you're walking around with a haughty spirit. Pride always comes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Somebody said that. So part of Christianity is being honest with ourselves and asking ourselves, do we have a careless spiritual attitude? No one here does. You came early to study Torah. You don't have a careless spiritual attitude. You're not out involved in risky, ungodly behavior. I got one amen. Can I get two amens? Can I get three amens? (laughs) So when you get saved, some of those natural appetites and cravings need to get sanctified. You need to correct some things. There's flaws in everyone's character. Not everyone has the same. Joseph came to realize... I've got a flaw in my character that's blocking the blessing. I need to get to work on changing that. And that was a major key in him going from the prison to the palace. Come on, somebody. Just visualize yourself going to the palace. But getting to the palace, climbing the ladder of success, means that we need to work on ourselves. It's called training for reigning. Fit for life. Amen. Second, never give in to the evil report. Never, ever, ever give in to negative circumstances that might be happening to you. It could be God 
that's resisting you and you've walked out from underneath God's umbrella of protection. Or it could be you open the door to the devil to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. You need to get that sorted out like by five. <laughs> right? You need to, But how do you sort that out? It's called the B-I-B-L-E. And if you don't have uh, enough maturity and wisdom to sort through, why does this thing keep happening to me? But once you realize it's the devil. No, I'm serving God. I don't have a haughty spirit. Uh, and uh, I now know beyond a sh- this is the devil trying to stop a move of God in my life. you got to refuse to lose. As we said in early morning prayer, having done all to stand, you got to stand. After you've been praying, after you've been prophesying, after you've been praising the Lord with all of your heart, uh, lather, rinse, and repeat. And third, now that you're in Christ, never allow yourself to be defined as a victim. This is another aspect of Joseph's miracle. In the natural, Joseph was abandoned by everyone. Everyone seemed to take advantage of Joseph. He was hated by his brothers, criticized by his father, sold as a slave, imprisoned on false charges, forgotten, abandoned in prison, and his freedoms were stripped for what seemed to be forever. At some point, if you're Joseph and all this avalanche or tsunami of bad stuff is happening, at some point, he could have been justified in some sense of giving up. At some point, he could have said, this stuff has ruined my life. My life isn't worth living anymore. Forget about it. He could have seen himself as victimized and just from that moment on live as a victim. It was funny that on uh, Friday morning, I woke up and I have a whole bunch of different websites I go to. One particular website I was reading uh, uh, had a brand new article that was uh, titled Tendency for Interpersonal Victimhood Personality Disorder. Now that's very (laughs) clinical, but it just caught my attention. Victimhood and personality disorder. So I'm going to read this because I'm studying Joseph and I'm reading the Hanukkah story, realizing how uh, uh, they were facing impossible odds and they could have seen themselves as victims and just laid down and let the devil win. And so as it turns out, there's a growing number of people today whose society is encouraging to think of themselves as victims. This is clinical science. Researchers have now, as I was pointing out, they've now identified a new personality disorder called TIV. T 
tendency for interpersonal victimhood. I'm reading all of this, and I'm thinking, man, this is a great thing for uh, the life of Joseph and Hanukkah and how to overcome the odds. And this whole TIV thing is basically it boils down to a person who persistently sees themselves through the lens of being a victim. That's how they see themselves. They put on the victim glasses and they can't see anything except I'm a victim. And they, who sang that song? Somebody done me wrong song. (laughs) Look, folks, everybody's had wrong done to them. Now, maybe your wrongs were worse than the ones that were done against me and we can debate, well, my wrong's worse than yours. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to rehearse the curse instead of break the curse. Those with this disorder don't merely feel disadvantaged. Victimhood, per this research, is a central part of the individual's identity. Being a victim becomes the central part of their identity. Now, right now in America, there's forces that are trying to reclassify your life and you are supposed to identify with certain things. In one case, being a victim. In another case, uh, people just want the only identity you have is your skin color. That's how you must define your life. And if you don't act the way your skin color is supposed to act, then we will marginalize you and disenfranchise you. We will ridicule you until you submit. Obey. You're born in the image of God. You're created in the image and likeness of God. Your identity now is not in what happened to you or what happened 5,422 years ago. When you pledged your allegiance to the Lamb of God, you became a new creation. You're a new species of being. So now they, this study showed that all these people that have this TIV, they're feeling tormented because they keep rehearsing the curse. The devil's got them stuck in a moment they can't get out of. And they're holding on to what it says, intense negative emotions that leads to an entitlement mentality to commit immoral behavior. These are secular researchers. In other words, they have a desire for revenge. And the higher level of TIV, the more these people will experience negative emotions and it will give them a sense of entitlement to act or behave immorally. It's going on in America and around the world right now. I guess this is the new gospel. The new gospel is be a victim. But there's one question 
that this uh, that comes up that this report doesn't deal with. If such a disorder exists, what's the cure? <laughs> if people got this thing, what's the antidote? Give me the vaccine. But we don't want to tell you the vaccine because if we tell you the antidote that there's a cure, then we can't control you no more. But this is where the lessons of Joseph and Hanukkah come in. Look, it's not that life's not going to hit you hard. Life is going to hit you hard from time to time. I'm sorry. I wish there was a way out of it. Once the rapture happens, that's your way out. Until then, stuff happens. Didn't you ever watch Forrest Gump? Stuff happens. But for a Christian, a believer, we have divine principles. The Bible is rich in divine principles that teach us how to climb out of the pit. How many of you started way, way down? You you started so low you had to look up to see down. The, the ladder of success was going underground, so you were starting underground. You climbed 8, 10, 12 la- steps on the ladder only to get to ground level. You tell him, Zakai, you lovely little boy. The last thing you want to do is to play the victim. Because that's when the devil begins to manipulate your emotions and tell you there's no hope. Your life is over. But how many of you know today the devil is a liar? How many of you believe today? My story ain't over. It's just beginning. And if if we have a, a broken heart, Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. Thank you, Jesus. There's a healing process taking place right now. And there's a blessed and abundant life awaiting all of us. That promise is yes and amen. And even if you haven't learned how to fight back, how to resist the devil, how to fight the good fight of faith, you can. And I recommend you should. So one of, one of the things that you got to think about here is wrapped up in the famous quote that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. How do you respond? The cure to TIV isn't giving up or seeking revenge. The cure to TIV is what Joseph did. God's answer to victimhood is what Joseph did. He responded to all the bad things that happened to him with forgiveness. Forgiveness. He turned his pain into possibilities because of forgiveness. In the natural, it doesn't sound like a good idea. Forgive! 
Smite them, Lord. Let, like in, in Bruce Almighty, be the, let me be the smiter and smite the ones that need smitting. <laughs> Did you know that uh, the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph, is the first place in the Bible that it's recorded that someone forgave somebody? And it became the turning point in his life. He could have cultivated an angry spirit. He could have set out to, uh, when, the, when the brothers come later to Egypt, boy, I got these guys and I'm going to make them pay. He didn't do that. He didn't live his life as a victim. And in one sense, he had every right in the world to lash out after all that went down on his life, all the negativity, all the things and, and disappointments. But he chose the way of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And in Christ, the power of the gospel says there's always a second chance. We got the power to begin again. Amen. And so when we light the candles during the week of Hanukkah, one thing that we can remember is we're relating to Joseph and the Maccabees when they were facing the most impossible odds. Somehow they were able to see beyond the natural circle. Let me have that kind of vision, Lord, that I can see beyond the natural into the supernatural and see the promise more than the problem. That's having an eye of faith. You just don't get to that level because uh, you went to the altar one time. You got to work on that thing, and call, there is, there should be no such thing as a part-time Christian. We light those candles, and we're saying, no matter how dark it gets, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to walk in the light. We are going to uh, uh, be the light of the world. And God is going to make a way out of anything the devil is trying to do against me. Father, thank you that you're turning it around. Yes. Amen. Yep. Amen. We'll be finished here in just a bit. Hey, buddy. So here's uh, six keys to developing an overcoming spirit and walking in overwhelming victory. Number one, develop the knowledge of who you are in Christ. Okay? And we could go on and teach a ton on that. Number two, develop being strong in the Lord even in adversity. Okay? Number three, develop godly character. Psalm 25, 21 says, May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. Number four, develop the force of faith. Matthew eleven twelve says, And from the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. Number five, be persistent in prayer. 
the earnest prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And number six, develop the spirit of praise. Amen? Can you say amen? Amen. Duty calls. Do you receive it this morning? Give the Lord a great big hand clap.